I don't know if you've uh, read about some of these treasure hunters out there on the Atlantic Ocean, kind of between like North Carolina, Florida, getting kind of closer to Cuba. Um, they're out there because there, there are all these wrecks. Many of them were Spanish galleons, these large ships that were just kind of loaded down with gold and silver. Uh, it's documented what they were carrying, but they never made it too far or didn't make it to their final destination. They went down, and apparently there is all sorts of wealth to be found on the coastline out there and out in the Atlantic Ocean. Roger Miklos, a treasure hunter for a large salvage company, made this remark, quote, By a very conservative estimate of the treasure still lost off the U.S. coast between North Carolina and Florida, there is enough to put $1 million in the pocket of every man, woman, and child living in New York City. Wow. And apparently it's out there. Um, The odds of you actually finding these hordes of wealth and all these gold bars and gold and silver and coins, why, it's, it's actually very low. There's also all sorts of risks that are involved for underwater recovery. Those risks are great. And yet, people go for it. There's a guy that you may have heard before by the name of Mel Fisher. Uh, he's devoted his entire life before he died to recovering lost sunken treasure. Quote, for his word, Once you see the ocean bottom carpeted with gold coins, you'll never forget it. And Mel Fisher is is somewhat well known because he's the guy that made the kind of the legendary discovery of the Nuestra Señora de Atoka, a ship that went down September 5th, 1622. On July 20th, 1985, he and his team started discovering what is now called the Atoka Motherlode, or now commonly referred to as the Bank of Spain. This ship that went down had over 40 tons of gold and silver in it, 100,000 Spanish silver coins, uh, 70 pounds of emeralds, and they have started to find all of this amazing wealth. Now, it's kind of spread all over. It's about 103 miles outside of Savannah, Cuba, but nonetheless, they're, they're going for it, and, and the costs are extremely high. I mean, you've got equipment, all the expenses related to this, uh, this trying to get this treasure up. You've got major legal expenses, and it's actually cost human life. For the Bank of Spain, for that recovery effort that still is undergone today, uh, four people have died, including Mel's son and his daughter-in-law. And you're like, wow, why, why would you do it? I'll tell you why. Because it's worth it to them. That treasure down there, we want to get it. We'll do everything we can to find it. And, you know, we will suffer to the degree that we think, that something is worth it. I mean, that's true like in our jobs, right? We'll endure hardship and go through obstacles if we think it's worth it. Uh, It's true in athletics. We'll put ourselves through this. We will do these things because ultimately we think it's worth what we're pursuing. It's true in academics. You want to get good at a musical instrument? There's going to be some cost, uh, some time involved. There'll be obstacles. There may be some suffering. But why would anyone suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ? We kind of get it like, yeah, I'll pay the price for work or academics in order to get this or to achieve this particular status or get this reward. But when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, many people go, that's 
not really something that I'm willing to pay any price for or to suffer for. Why would anybody be willing to suffer for the gospel? And what, what exactly is this Christian suffering? Well, let me give you just kind of a simple definition. It's any distress or pain that comes from our identity with Christ and our involvement with his work. It's, it's any like struggle or a price that you have to pay because of your identity with Christ and your involvement with his work. Now, oftentimes when it comes to the idea of, of suffering as a Christian, most people are like, man, it's kind of like I recoil, like I'm not going to touch a hot stove. And boy, if anybody just gives me even just a little bit of funny look, man, I'm, I am totally withdrawing. I'm going to go chameleon. I'm going to go incognito with my faith. Why would anyone suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ? When you come to 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is actually inviting Timothy to do just that. And he's actually going to explain the reasons why. And the first you're going to find, and we're going to look at it here in chapter 1, verse 8, is that Christians are willing to suffer for the gospel because we've been given the power of God. Look what Paul says, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul's writing this letter shortly before he's going to be executed. He refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. And he says, Timothy, do not be ashamed. Somehow, Timothy had got timid. Kind of like a wide receiver, and when a wide receiver goes out on a route and they're having to stretch out for that ball, so that quarterback is going to place the ball right where just the receiver can catch it, sometimes they have to stretch out. Well, if they take too many hits, they get drilled by a cornerback, what happens is they kind of like, it's called short-arming the ball. They're like, because I'm going to protect myself because I don't want to take one more hit like that. They might run the routes, but they're not going to really stretch out because, you know what, I've taken a few shots. Or like a quarterback. If all of a sudden the offensive line becomes like a sieve and those defensive backs just come in there and just maul him, all of a sudden he forgets that he's on the offense and it becomes the defense of self-preservation back there, trying to stay alive. And for Timothy, something had happened. He had become timid. He was backing off. There once was a fervency, but now the challenges were great. And I think we could probably relate to that. I mean... Think about, has something happened in your life that may have silenced you, preventing you from thinking like it's a good idea to actually share your faith in Christ? Um, have you become incognito as a Christian? Because, well, I, we got this lady in our neighborhood, and she's a Christian, and, and no one really likes her, and I don't, I don't want to this her, but on the other hand, I don't really, I want people to like me, so I'm going to just kind of not identify with Jesus. For Timothy, we know that there was the threat of Roman persecution. Paul was actually in prison, in a maritime prison, in Rome. Nero had now actually started the widespread persecution of Christians. In the Colosseum, Christians now were fed as fodder for entertainment for Roman citizens. Not only did, was persecution now for, to be a Christian, might cost you something. There was also the idea that there were people in Timothy's church, in the church at Ephesus, that really didn't appreciate his leadership. In fact, they were making life difficult for him, if not resented him. 
And then, of course, there were the assaults of the false teachers and their sophisticated deception, kind of twisting the truths of Scripture and the gospel to meet their own ends. And we don't know all that was coming into play, but at some point, Timothy got timid. In fact, remember last week we saw it in verse 7? Paul says, you know what, Timothy? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, which speaks of fear, but of power and love and discipline. The resources that we need to live a life walking with God, he has given us. God hasn't called us to, to be cowering in fear, but rather he's given us power. Power that comes from himself. The same power that brings about the resurrection of Jesus is available to his people In fact, the Spirit of God has been placed in our life that we can walk and live in a position of strength as we're relying upon Him. And He says, God has not only given us the Spirit of power, but of love. The capacity to love people, to make a choice that I am going to commit to love you. Not, Not in my own strength, but a love that comes from trusting in Jesus, so much so that it's the love of God being poured out through my life and to yours, to seek out your best interest and your well-being. And God has also given us a spirit of discipline, the idea that we can be level-headed, that we're not just whipped around by all of our emotions, but the spirit of God actually gives us the ability to have a constant, a continual behavior that's not just whipped around by emotion, not just swirling around up and down, but, but steady that comes from his spirit. This is the power that God gives us. Do you know why you and I would suffer for the gospel? Because God has given us his power. If you read the New Testament, you find so often that Paul is speaking of this power, this the strength that we have from Christ. He even prays that believers would understand it. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, there's this prayer, he says in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and then listen to this, listen to what he's praying for, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, these are in accordance to the working of the strength of his might. Paul's praying that you and I, we would live in the power of his presence, the presence of God himself. So let me just ask you, what would it take to keep you silent? What would it take to keep you silent, uh, to not identify with Christ? Would it be just a thought in your mind that, you know, if I identify with Christ, if I actually tell these folks at school or at work that, that I'm a Christian or on my team, they, they may not think of me as favorably as I think they do right now, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hide that. Uh, what would it take to keep you from identifying with Christ? A funny look? A stern look of disapproval? Um, perhaps a casual insult or a mocking one? Would it be just like a verbal shove in the back or a physical one or consequences that are much harsher? When it comes to courage, courage to identify with Christ, to be involved, to love him more than you love yourself, why, courage is like a muscle. And the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. There's a former congressman from Ohio by the name of Tony Hall. And in the National Review, they recounted the 2005 National Prayer Breakfast. We just had it this past week. And 
He recounted that when Tony Hall spoke at the 2005 prayer breakfast of this, this of what he had to say, and this was in the National Review, Joe Rosenberg wrote of this occasion. And Tony Hall gets up there and he told people that when he first came to Washington, he was feeling very hollow. In his own words, he says, I didn't know God and I was tired of my ambition. And he went to this prayer breakfast and he heard of people who actually have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And listening to their testimony of how their faith in Christ was actually integrated with how they live. And it kind of became a quest for him and his wife that eventually led them to putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And uh, when he's speaking, Hall is speaking in 2005, he actually urged men and women that were gathered there of both parties to actually just don't be shy about bringing your faith to the office and letting it be a part of who they are in public. And he described an event that took place when he was a congressman. He was invited to take a trip to go to an Islamic country, and when he gets there, he is met by the U.S. ambassador in this country, who meets him at the airport, and among other things, tells him this, Congressman Hall, I just want to remind you that you're in a Muslim country. Don't talk about religion. Or it could really set back what we're trying to accomplish here. Hall got the message. They go to the office of this particular Muslim leader. And Hall was asked by this Muslim leader, Why have you come all the way to my country? And this is what Hall said. I would like to be your friend. I would like our country to be friends. And I would like to invite you to the national prayer breakfast in the name of Jesus. Can't you just see the ambassador like, what are you doing? You were doing really good until you brought up Jesus, national prayer breakfast. And then this Muslim leader got very excited. He slapped his knee. And according to Hall, he said, that's remarkable. You have come all this way to be my friend and to talk to me about Jesus? That is wonderful. My mother used to talk to me a lot about Jesus when I was a child. We should talk about Jesus more often. And then this leader of this Muslim country turned to the ambassador of the United States and said, why don't you talk about Jesus? Why? Because Fear paralyzes us. Fear paralyzes us. But faith in God gives us the power to engage, the power to love, the power to serve. It is the reason why you and I were willing to suffer. Why? Because it is the power of God. And you see it right there in verse 8. It's an invitation. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner. But what? Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And let me give you another reason why you and I, as Christians, would be willing to suffer. And that is because we've been united with the person of Christ. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 is kind of like a pull-down menu. Like if you were like researching World War II, and you hit World War II and you find out, whoa, there's a lot more than I ever imagined. Look at verse 9. He says, this glorious gospel, according to the power of God, that I'm encouraging you and asking you to suffer for, who has saved us, verse 9, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own 
purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. It's kind of like you pull up that World War II and you think, yeah, I know about World War II. And if you're over the age of 12, I'm sure you've heard about it. But there is far more than you might ever realize. And that's true of the gospel. You've probably heard of Jesus and you've probably heard of the gospel. But these two verses, they're like some of the greatest description in the New Testament of the gospel. Look at just all the different things that he explains. And the reason that Paul is starting to highlight the person and the work of Jesus Christ and the nature of the gospel is because of this. Our willingness to suffer comes from seeing the worth of the Savior. And he says, it is he who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. You see that? You and I, we don't come to Jesus because we're smarter than other people or more sensitive or or more in tune to God. He doesn't call us to himself because we're a little bit morally better off than other folks. We like to believe that there is something in us that God saw that's like, I I really want you on the team. We like to believe that um, we're in heaven or we're going to heaven because we're kind of like the Phi Beta Kappa. We're some of the smartest people and, and we see it and we get it. Actually, we are saved and it has nothing to do with us. Do you see that in verse 9? He saved us. He literally rescued us from the penalty of our sin. And he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. You're saved from your sins. And when it talks about a holy calling, it means that you are literally set apart for his purposes. Kind of like the utensils and the... Uh, that were used in the service of God in the temple and in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. You know what they called all of them? Pans, candelabra, all of that. It was all holy. It was set apart for the use of the Lord. That's what you are if you are a Christian. God has saved you. He's rescued you. He's called you with a holy calling. It had nothing to do with your works. It wasn't because you were generally cordial or you took your kids to the zoo or you made appearances at a church or you've got a Bible It has nothing to do with your work. It has everything to do with God's grace. Remember like it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. And do you see this? I don't want you to miss this. It's according to his own purpose and grace. What is that purpose? Why did God take people who are sinners, living in rebellion, doing life on their own, self-centered, and why did he provide this kind of salvation when they trust in Christ? For this reason, God is taking people from being self-centered sinners to become Christ-centered worshipers that would even be willing to suffer because of their identity with Christ. And here's something else. As you're just kind of doing the pull-down menu on the gospel, did you see that? It's his purpose and his grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus. You've got to be in him. You've got to trust him. You've got to know him. And here's something you may have missed. From all eternity. Did you see that? See, there's never been a time where the Father and the Son did not love you or have a plan for you. You see, some people think that, well, you know what happened here? Uh, what God did is look down the corridors of time, and then he kind of 
saw who would believe. And so then he chose those people. He selected them. But this verse tells us something very different. In fact, in other places in the New Testament, it's different. He says, this actually was granted us. This grace, this purpose was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. It's a pre-existent grace. It is grace that is found in Christ who is a self-existent one. There's never been a time where Jesus, the Son of God, did not exist. He enters into humanity, but the Son of God has eternally existed. And it's a pre-existent grace. He knew us and loved us even before the world was. He determined that the Son would die and redeem a lost humanity. And what you're seeing here in verse 9, it's the blueprint from eternity of what God did. What it should do is just expand your whole understanding of God and his salvation. What a great salvation we have. And you and I, what do we bring to the game? Nothing. It's very interesting. Of all the world religions, you know how you and I know that Christianity is the one true faith? Because all world religions are somehow trying to earn favor, appease God, to do something, some ritual, some routine, some act or actions that are going to earn God's favor. But God knows that we're dead in our sins. And all the gospel tells us is that we acknowledge that we simply bring nothing in our own doing. We just bring our need. We bring that we're sinful in need of a Savior, and God provides salvation. It's His plan, His Savior, His work. We can't earn it. You don't deserve it, and you can't lose it, because why? He secured it. And this is what has happened in, verse, in, in Christ. And you see it in verse 9. And look at verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's been revealed. It's, it, it's appeared. Speaking of the self-existent Son of God, he is now made manifest through the incarnation. We see salvation. We see his life, his work. We see his death and his resurrection. God literally brings the Son of God to bring redemption of his people. And it's appeared through the peering of our Savior, Christ Jesus. What is the greatest fear of humanity? Death. And you see this? The God-man. He has actually abolished death. What is the greatest longing of humanity? True life, eternal life, spiritual life, fullness of life. And where is that life found? It's found in Christ. He not only abolished death, but he brought about life. I mean, people go to great lengths to somehow try to alleviate their fear of death. They'll bring food to idols. They bring food thinking they're bringing, uh, appeasing their ancestors. They'll do all sorts of things. People will also do whatever it takes to try to find some sort of spiritual meaning, true spiritual life. I mean, since we've been talking about folks running around in ships, remember a guy by the name of Juan Ponce de Leon? Any of you, like, were awake in eighth grade history? What was he looking for? Anybody know? The fountain of youth, right? And it drove him. That's why he went to Florida. He'd, he'd heard some stories. I'll tell you, you want where life is found? Look at the text. It's found in the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light 
through the gospel. It's not that death no longer exists or that we're a promise that we escape from it, but what happens is that death no longer is a threat because we have eternal life because we've been united with Christ. Friends, that is the treasure of the gospel, and that is why we'd be willing to suffer. You see, eternal life is found in him who has suffered, died, and rose again. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And it's for this reason, the glorious gospel, the person of Jesus, you know what? We'd be willing to suffer for a treasure like that. And Paul says in verse 11, For which this gospel I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. A preacher, uh, like a herald, has the idea of someone who would go into a particular city and they would announce news from, a, from the government or from a king. And what he's saying, you know what? I'm not important. The message is important. God has called me to bring the message. I am a preacher. A message carrying from, from God to humanity. If you want freedom from sin, you want life be, and not death, if you want to experience the abundance of what it means to really know God, it's found in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And so Paul says, for this reason, verse 12, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I believe, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. You want to know why I'm bold? Why I'm courageous? Why I am willing to suffer? Why I'm willing to take some hits? Why I'm a prisoner? If you want to know that, he says, I know what God has done on my behalf. I'm willing to suffer. I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. I, I want you to see that. He's convinced. He knows, and that word know speaks of a personal experience. I know him intimately. I am personally committed to him. I understand him. I relate to him. I know him, and I know that he is the one who can guard my life. I, I am giving my life completely to him. I trust him with my soul. And that's what gives me the ability to move forward by faith. His confidence didn't come from a creed or a theological system or a denomination or an ordination. His confidence comes from knowing Christ. You see, when you see Christ as the great treasure, you're willing to suffer. And when he speaks of that day, it's a day where you and I as believers are going to come before the judgment seat of God. It's not a judgment whether or not we get salvation. That's already been secured when Christ paid the penalty for our sins and we by faith trusted in Christ. But we will have a day where we'll be rewarded for our faith. We'll be rewarded that we are willing to suffer, that we engage. And Paul says, you know what? My bottom line confidence is him. I'm trusting in him. I don't know if you've ever seen like uh, people walking like on a rope. Uh, like here's an example. Um, where like you got kids walking on a rope or maybe it's just one like rope and it's maybe a couple inches wide and you've got kids that'll go and walk on this. I saw this at a camp and, and they do so with confidence because they generally have a college kid on either side so when they start to fall they're right there like, hey, it's okay. And they're able to take steps forward by faith. Well, that's a lot like our life. You and I will really struggle taking steps forward by faith if we're really not 
trusting in God. And that's what Paul is saying. It's like, I know whom I have believed. That's what's so important. It's not a what. It's not when. It's not why. It's not where. It's this, I know whom. I know the person of Christ. And friends, that's why I'm willing to suffer. He is so great and he's glorious. His gospel is so profound and so great. His power is so mighty that I am willing to suffer. And I invite you to do the same. But why suffering? Why does God choose pain and difficulty and discouragement and challenge and heartache to glorify himself? Well, it's because of this. Because the life of Christ is manifested in the lives of his people who praise him in the pain, who follow him even in the face of immense difficulty, and who love even when it's hard. It's through difficulty that God shows forth his son emanating from his people. And a willingness to suffer comes from seeing the worth of the Savior. If you don't really see the worth of the Savior, you don't understand the power of the glorious gospel, chances are you're probably not willing to suffer. But as you start to see him for who he is, as you learn to rely on him, I know whom I believe. Let me just tell you what suffering might look like. I, I will say that in, in different parts of the world, different countries, suffering looks very different. In the United States here, this is about as easy as it gets. Oh, I know, we think that the fire has really been turned up here, but friends, I can take you places that would just make your head spin and bring you to great grief when we talk about the issues of persecution and suffering. But what might it look like to respond? What it might look like to respond to a call to actually be inconvenienced with your schedule for just the sheer delight of serving the master. You minister to others, you see a need, an opportunity to serve, and you actually do it. Maybe a willingness to suffer might look like a call to, at times, maybe do without or to do with less. Maybe it would be to respond to a call to give of your finances to Christ's ministry, where it's actually a sacrifice. Not just something like, well, we'll never miss this, so we'll give that to the church. But an actual sacrifice. Maybe it would be to respond to a call to set aside something you feel free to do, and you are, but is actually a stumbling block to others. And so you'll yield for the sake of another's conscience. Maybe it will be a call that you respond to to meet a need in a ministry. Rather than just saying, you know, boy, I sure hope someone else takes care of that. You're like, you know, I see the Lord, you're moving in me. You're, you're having me take some steps of faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can't be helpful in that situation. Maybe it's a call to fulfill your ministry. To keep seeking the grace, mercy, and peace that's found in Christ. Remember that in verse 1 and 2? And to, and to stay with it, even though it's difficult and it's challenging, and at times you're like, huh, this is far more than I ever bargained for. But Lord, I am asking you to give me strength, and I'm going to keep moving forward. Despite the fickle people, despite the critics and the difficulties, maybe it's a willingness to move forward. Maybe what suffering might look like is for you to actually share your faith in Christ. 
where you actually put your words and you speak them or you write them. I mean, think about it. Almost everyone here is here because someone spoke to us about Jesus and the gospel. They valued Christ so greatly they were willing to talk about it. In fact, maybe they wanted to talk about it with us about him. Friends, maybe that's what a willingness to suffer might look like. And I want to say that I think that at some point, I don't know when, but like even teaching the word of God, someday is probably going to be defined as a hate crime in our country. Because the morality and the values that God gives us in his word that are found in relationship with Christ, they're contrary to where a lot of folks are going. And they're not popular. Are you willing to suffer? You're going, whoa, Grant, that's a pretty bold challenge you're putting out there to us. I mean, me? Suffer? Why are you throwing that out? I mean, why would I do that? For what reason? Simply this. Because of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because of the lamb who was slain and has risen from the dead. And he is alive and victorious. And he is reigning in the hearts of his people. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. You know, in Texas, we have this phrase here, big hat, no cattle. Anybody know what it means? Okay. Yeah. Big hat, no cattle. What it really means for those of us who have moved here and we've been indoctrinated, we've got this figured out. It means a lot of talk and no reality. Friends, when it comes to our faith in Christ, it just can't be rhetoric. It can't be words for Sunday and songs we sing here and then we run away and run out and it's gone. Jesus is calling us to reality. Now, you don't go out looking for suffering, okay? You don't do some sort of weird legalistic thing like, well, I'll do this and that way I'll be suffering. No, it's not like that. What it is is a mindset, you know what? I value Christ and I know he's the power of Jesus and I'm willing to step forward in faith. Uh, when you have a willingness to suffer, what happens is the ministry of Christ advances and you and I mature in our faith. When we kind of come to the point, you know, I, I'm done being the incognito Christian. I'm, I'm going to step forward. You will find that underdeveloped ministries and underdeveloped people often can be traced to an unwillingness to suffer. See, when the, we have a, we'll have a willingness to suffer when we see Christ as our greatest treasure. Calvary doesn't make people cowards. It makes them courageous. Why? Because at the cross, they died to self so they can live free and boldly in Christ. I mean, think of it. God has given us the power of his presence. He's united us with the person of Christ. We've been saved by the glorious gospel and we're the ambassadors of it. Think of how our church and our lives would be different if like we all took one more step of faith and to say, you know what? I am unashamed. I'm going to be looking to engage. I'm not afraid to identify with Christ. I've been uh, listening to a guy by the name of Yosef Tone, and uh, he's a Romanian pastor and educator. There's a picture of him right there. Um, he suffered greatly under the communists before the fall of the Iron Curtain. Okay, so in the late 40s and the 50s. 
And in one sermon, he talked about um, being interrogated and how challenging and difficult and nasty this was. And after a particularly nasty bout with one interrogator, he felt very discouraged. And yet he said that the Lord met him and helped him to understand what was happening as he spent time in prayer and in the Word. Well, that weekend, something changed with Yosef. And the next week, when the interrogator showed back up for work, and again interrogating Mr. Tzone, something was different. And this is what Yosef said. At one point, the interrogator stopped and said, Mr. Tzone, who visited you this weekend? I have in front of me a different person than the one who left here. Somebody came and changed you completely. I have to know who came and visited you. And this is what Yosef said. Jesus visited me and made me ready for the battle again. And so he does with these words. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, who has joined with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. You see, we'll have a willingness to suffer and it comes when we're seeing the worth of the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage. Challenging is all get out. And yet, you're calling us through your word to live lives unashamed, to identify with you, to see ourselves as ambassadors, those who have the truth and love it and live it. And for someone who has come here today who has never trusted in Christ, that they simply just pray with me and say, Lord, I want to turn from myself and my sin. And I believe that Jesus is the rescuer and the Savior. And I trust in his payment on the cross for me. Lord, lead my life. And Lord, for all of us, right now, just in the quietness of this prayer, help us to see what depths of courage and faith and identity with you should look like this week. Lord, we need you and we love you. We're yours. Set apart with a holy calling. Accomplish your will and your work for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.